Hey, this is Josh from Sugartooth. You guys are watching The Heavy Galaxy Show. This is John Giss with the Heavy Galaxy Show, and today I have Mr. Will Martin from Earshot joining the party. Will, it is great to have you, man. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Yeah, what's cooking over there in L.A.? Just uh, busy getting ready for this uh, tour we have coming up that starts next week. Uh, starts in Costa Mesa, followed with San Diego, and then Las Vegas out in your neck of the woods. Well, yeah, it, it's certainly a big, big tour you got going on. We're going to get into that in, in a little bit, but the first three shows right down here, you know, Costa Mesa, San Diego, and Vegas are going to be really, really cool. But I want to go back in time with you, Will. For some folks, they know you already. Other folks, they don't know who the hell you are. They thought you were, uh, you know, a, a male porn actor at this point in time at B-movies. Uh, yeah. Disappeared off the scene. Others uh, love you, Will. I would imagine you got uh, some awesome fans that just like to check everything out. So I want to talk to you. You know, we had a personal conversation not too long ago, and I got to find out a little bit about you a little bit more. And yeah. let's go back in time. Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in L.A. I'm originally from Kansas City. Uh, but we moved out of here um, when I was four, four or five. We moved out here. And um, and I'm still here. Never, I've never gone back. My, uh, of course, everybody's moved. My mom moved to Nevada. My, my dad and my brother moved to, to Nashville. And the rest of my family still lives back in Kansas City, where I'm from originally. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm here. I'm here, and uh, this is where I grew up. This is home. So, when uh, – talk to us a bit about your musical background. Um, did your – you know, where did your musical background come from? Uh, well, so my – my dad is a professional musician, which is the reason why we moved to LA in the first place. He's a, okay. still is a professional musician, a touring professional musician. And oh, wow. um, I didn't really get into playing music until I was 12, but I actually, I, I was, I've been singing since I was you know, four or five years old. I used to sing to my great grandmother in the kitchen when she was cooking. I used to sing uh, Kenny Rogers songs when they oh. hop on the radio, uh, and I would try to make my voice real raspy to to sound like it, all that stuff. But uh, so yeah, I guess were you, sing, was, were you singing the Gambler? I mean, I, I was. Know. I would that one and Lucille. Those were the two songs that that came on the radio all the time that I knew, and and I learned that it made her laugh and smile, and, and I, yeah. you know, got cookies and candies and things when I. Every time I got up and sang. So I think uh, that's where it started. And then I didn't actually start playing music or take a serious interest in it until I was 12. And that's when I started to take interest in the guitar. And and I had learned a guitar. And I was never a, a singer up until um, 
earshot was formed in you know 98 97 98 and i was always a guitar player and i still am a guitar player i play guitar i i don't play live but i play on i played on all of our records and i do a lot of the songwriting as well so um that's kind of my background in music i uh i listen to everything i mean i grew up you know beatles um zeppelin um you know a lot of other stuff that was pop at the time back in the late mm-hmm. 70s early 80s like men at work um <laughs> duran duran <laughs> like yeah. you know a lot of a lot of a right. lot of different stuff and and then i grew up you know living in la you know we lived in sort of the the poor areas of la so i was i was in schools and urban areas and so hip-hop was kind of a staple of my musical life too which i love hip-hop too so i mean i've i've kind of you know grown up and my background is all over the place in, in terms of sure. you know music that influences me um and of course the usual suspects with rock you know the black sabbaths and and all of that stuff so um pretty eclectic black sabbath that's that's mm. you know always interesting you know for a lot of people uh there's such a stigma behind black sabbath but not as much anymore it's pretty interesting now Iron Man and War Pigs are like literally kind of mainstream songs. They're commercials. They're at, you know, uh, sporting events. It's pretty wild to see it. But back then, hell, even in the 80s, I wasn't really listening uh, to the Aussie version of Black Sabbath. And that sounds crazy. Um, yeah. Which version of the Aussie or the Dio was your entry point for Sabbath? Ozzy Osbourne was the entry point. I'll say it again so you can edit it in. Uh, my entry point <laughs> was Ozzy. That was my entry point. I I loved Dio as well, but that came a little later for me. And please don't ask me which one is better because they're both great. And they're very different on top of that. I think uh, each one, you know, kind of... That's the interesting thing about Sabbath. I think that's the only band that that I'm aware of that I can think of off the top of my head that was able to actually, okay, maybe I take that back. There's Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth, but not a lot of bands can pull off having kind of ACDC. two different careers with two different singers. ACDC. But True. yeah, not too many. And wow, what a difference that was. And I'm with you. People ask me which I like better. I don't really answer them. Um, you know, Dio was short and sweet, quite frankly. You know, it was really only, yeah. you know, two albums that era and then a live one. I'm not going to count that. And then later on, you know, he he did some stuff, you know, later on. And that was some good things. But, geez, you know, Ozzy yeah. is Black Sabbath. So, yeah, amazing stuff to, to be able to feast on, uh, you know, in our earlier years. Now, when you were 17 or 18, what were you – what was your main, you know, jam or jams 17 or 18 i was into i was still into like cinderella you know motley crew metallica um mother love bone um and and then later on you know of course came when guns and roses of course yeah then you know in the late 88, 89, you know, came Nirvana and then the whole Seattle grunge movement yeah. happened. And 
And that, I think, I would say that is by far and away my favorite era of rock music, uh, yeah. next to the seventies. The seventies was also a, a favorite era of rock music for me. But I would say that the, you know, the nineties music scene was the most influential on me as a as an artist right. and a writer. It, it was truly um, an amazing era, and probably our last great era of rock where it was allowed to flourish and it was just blossoming in all different styles too. It wasn't just even that outstanding cool stuff like the grunge, but I mean, Hey, you and me both love this band, quicksand, another band, band. quicksand and helmet and tool and all those and race against the machine. Just Mm -hmm. an amazing era. I think us as Gen Xers are, are just very, very, very lucky uh, to have that. And that's interesting influential for you you know you're I, I've, I've noted before uh on the show uh and of course with you i, I think you're one hell of a songwriter um really right from from a perspective that i think people can relate to many times um let's go back in time to your first time your first band well let's go to the band that led to earshot we'll say like what were you writing songs then were you the main writer uh, talk to us a little bit about your journey with writing. Like I said, I was always a guitar player. I never, I never sang in a band before this band. Wow. And um, so, yeah, no, I was, you know, I was, I've always written songs on guitar and I was writing songs for, you know, singers that I was working with. And mm-hmm. I was in a couple of local bands back then and singers were okay. Um <laughs> But it was always, I always had that feeling that we just never had the right singer. And what I mean by that is not that, you know, they were, were could hit certain notes or anything, although that's important too, but it just didn't feel like organic and genuine to me. And um, so there was always that struggle being a guitar player in a band of, you know, finding that right singer was always the elusive part. And um, I I sometimes think about like, if that's the reason why I decided to just pick up singing, you know, when I, you know, helped to form this band, uh, maybe that was just out of that frustration of feeling like, you know, the bands that I was in really never got far off the ground because Never had the, could find the right singer or had the right singer. Yeah. Such a difficult uh, situation for many, many bands. Um, you know, you're what I would call a reluctant front man. Um, and there's a lot of them out there. Uh, one of my friends in a in, you know, really big band, more in the stoner rock scene, but nonetheless, if you like Soundgarden bands like that, you would love the band Sasquatch. And uh, Keith gave me a great story one time on an interview where, you know, he, he was like one day they, you know, the singer just quit, you know, and he sucked anyways. And he just reluctantly went up there and uh, sang and the rest of the band said, uh, let's, you keep trying. That sounds good to us. <laughs> and it happens a lot. It's really interesting. Yeah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I wasn't reluctant about it. I, I, uh, so 
this band it was before it was called anything and before the band was complete was was three friends that were trying to start a new project mm. and they put an ad out looking for a singer for this these heavy songs that they had this yeah. project that they wanted to that they were in the process of putting together and i answered the ad um even though i'd never sang in a band before which is as to this day i don't, I don't know what compelled me to do that but I, <laughs> what where I, where I ended up landing myself was in a rehearsal room with these three guys and seven other guys that really were singers none of us had heard any of the songs because they were they were the project was that fresh they didn't even have time to record anything so everybody that that showed up was just hearing the songs for the first time and they wanted everybody to get up and and just scat over these song ideas that they didn't even have fully put together yet and and i just went first because i knew if i watched the other guys go up and sing that i probably would have walked out you know too chicken shit to to try mm -hmm. but i went first did my thing and and uh they uh they wanted me to to come back and play and and the only resistance that they had within the band was the guitar player it was a one guitar player band at that point uh. and he wanted to continue searching he didn't think i was the right singer and he wanted to keep looking so they called me up and said hey we you know the bass player did me and the drummer think you know you're the right guy and we really like what you do and your voice and we're gonna you know keep looking just to make sure we've left no stone unturned and so i didn't yeah. hear back from him for like probably three months like i'd forgotten even all about it and i ran into him at a bar here locally in l.a and the bass player came up to me and and say hey, listen we've auditioned over 200 singers locally <laughs> and me and the drummers like you're the guy and i'm i'm kind of giggled to myself because I, I didn't say this at the time of course mm -hmm. but i'm like i've never even sang in a band and you think i'm the the best guy for this band which was oh my god but, that's funny so the guitar player at the time um they they tried to compromise with him and they said listen let's bring him in for a couple of weeks and and write some songs and see what happens and if if it doesn't work out then we'll keep looking but let's at least you know give him a chance for a couple of weeks. So he agreed to that. Right. And I say on the third day, the third day, when I walked into the rehearsal room, all of his stuff was gone. And I remember I walked <laughs> in and I said, I said, what happened to Chris? Where's he at? And they sat down and they went, he quit. And I went, why did he quit? He goes, he didn't even, he so thinks you're not the right guy. Oh, he just wow. didn't want, he didn't want to waste his time and he quit. I was like, wow so um that we kept pushing forward and the rest is history you know we just kept trudging along and wrote some more songs recorded the demo and then played a couple of shows and before you know it you know we had a record deal <laughs> that's a great story um what were some of the songs do you i mean i'm sure you remember what, what were the songs that originally they had you scat <laughs> a little bit there so one of them was a song that still remains unreleased it was a song called leave me alone 
which I still have a copy of it, uh, the demo version. Um, that was the very first one. Then they had a song called My Time, which did get released. It, it was on our first record, Letting Go. Um, and then there was another one called that we the working title of it was Tribal. And that song was also on the first record. And it was, um, uh, what the hell was the name of the song? Wake Up. That song ended up being called Wake Up. But we called it for like a good two years. It was called Tribal Song or Tribal huh. because I didn't really have any lyrics at the time. Huh. And I was just mumbling melodies over it. And nobody knew that. I wasn't actually singing lyrics. They just thought they just couldn't hear me that way. Yeah. Right. So I kind of disguised it. And that's what we call it. We call it travel. So those are the three songs that we had. And um, those are the only three songs that we had when we were meeting with record labels. And and just from off of those three songs, they they saw something, I guess, that they felt that they felt like they could, you know, work with and do something and you know, here we are okay so who's they warner brothers that's warner the label brothers. that that we that's who we ended up signing with but we actually met with and showcased many times actually for every major label at the time every single one like we every major label was interested in signing this band and all of them i, I think except for maybe one or two actually made an offer we liked warner brothers the best obviously that's why we went there um but it was a long process like it from the time that we started meeting and talking with labels and playing showcases it took it took about a year um of hearing every label go all right we're gonna do this we're gonna do this deal we're gonna make the offer blah, blah, blah. and it took a year before it finally all started to, to happen like there was a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of back and forth and sure you know blah 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 blah. so that was my first that was my first dose of of learning about how the music industry is a very much a hurry up and wait yeah type of type of business yeah and you get as i mean it's amazing your first album you end up on one of the biggest labels in the you know in the preeminent labels <laughs> so that's pretty yeah. wild shit and, and so, and back then, you know, the record industry was still going well uh, overall. Uh, and you guys got an advance and everything. We got an amaze. We got probably one of the last, you know, <laughs> best record deals, you know, that, that you know, was yeah. happening around that time. And uh, it was just maybe a year or two later when things changed due to, you know, the all the piracy stuff that was going yeah. on. And then shortly thereafter, Spotify. So, yeah, those the 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 record kind of record deals that we got with the type of money that was involved was mm -hmm. one of the last yeah. ones. You don't see those anymore at all these days. No, no, no. They don't. They, they don't. It's a whole different world nowadays. And mm. so you get you get the album out first, or you go on you go on tour after the album gets out, or and walk us through that. And what was the year that uh, your your debut came out? So the record came out in 2002, I think in uh, March or April, May, somewhere in there. Um, we, re we recorded the album in late 2000, early 2001. We finished it uh, like spring of 2001, 
Um, we turned it into the label in August. They already knew what the single was going to be. They they already knew what they wanted hmm. off the record, and we went on the road on our very first, you know, official tour in the f- late fall, early winter of two thousand one with Hoobastank, of all bands, and yeah. and their first single had just gone to radio. They it was uh, running in the dark. Um. And we were playing little bars, similar to you know what we're doing on this tour, actually. And it's a great tour; it was packed, mm-hmm. um, and it was really cool because to to what their like I said, their single had just come out like a month before, oh, yeah. and it was it was just starting to ramp up a little bit. And you know, we got to see you know their career kind of grow and bud, you know, um, and we were just kind of riding along with it. Our single came out just after that tour ended and that's when things started to ramp up for us and um but yeah so 2002 later that year is when our first record letting go came out so get away was already determined at some point by your your ar nr and uh, the record label folks um yeah, how does that process go? Do they just go, all right, we already got things planned. I mean, how, talk us through, like, how, what's that conversation like? This is for people that have never, none of it, a lot of us have never been in these kind of things. So it's interesting to hear. Yeah, they, uh, it was just obvious to them. And it was obvious to us too, honestly. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a short but sweet song. It's catchy. Um it had a little bit of a familiar feel to it, um, as as many people like to point out. Right. Um, and it was just a good song. It was an easy, yeah, it's an easy song, song for people to get into. Um, you know, it was some people, you know, still to this day, um, because of at moments, you know, the 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 close familiarity that it some sometimes resembles in parts to tool, you know, yeah. so it's, you know, a lot of people have referred it to like, you know, tool without all the math, you know, involved. So I think right. it, it's just an easy song to dig into and you don't have to think about it. And it's short and sweet. It was just an obvious song that, that yeah. there wasn't really any pushback from, from us or our management that, that that wasn't, the song yeah. to go with yeah. um but we had other songs you know singles as well so that was the good news yeah. and you know getaway obviously you know charted number three nationally at, at active rock and wow um i think i mean we were pretty much on every national radio station oh, yeah. across the country at that point and then we followed that up with not afraid which got top 10 um nationally at active rock as well and then we had queen of the damned which headstrong was on Um, Mm -hmm. that was that was doing really well so we had we had a lot of momentum going on you know at at that point and um we just we stayed on the road i think we were on the road you know with with a couple weeks break in between here and there but for the better part of of 17 17 months on the road Man, I yeah, Headstrong was massive in Orlando, Florida, as it was everywhere else. That was my entry point to Earshot, uh, without mm-hmm. a doubt. 
and uh, soon after that, snagged the album. And I got lucky enough to see you live in a really, really, really memorable show. And you and I talked about it a long time ago when we really didn't know each other as well as we do now. And I, I just I threw a shot in the dark at you. Like, I wonder if you'll remember this. You know, yeah. And I was in Orlando, Florida and caught Filter, who I had just seen the previous tour. And it was one of the most energetic, just incredible sets I'd ever seen. And I talked my buddies into going and everything for the next one. Yeah. And uh, they liked you guys too. And so we go to, uh, it was at Hard Rock in Orlando. Yep. Damn, if Richard Patrick, whoo, he was maybe just partying a whole lot too much. <laughs> I mean, enough he that was. he was on the ground at the end of the show. Upside uh, down. It was upside down. Um, yeah, he was. I mean, there were a lot of maneuvers. He was kind of rolling around at times too. They uh, they kind um, of circled him at one point, and was kind of kicked him a little bit just to nudge him to make sure he could just get the final parts of this song. I mean, we didn't even get yeah. the ear trip like I do. He was such a fucking mess. He, you know, and he was singing that song, uh, oh, the, the pop song that they did. And of course, that's so slow it probably put him to sleep. So they probably should have. Shouldn't have had him play that. But anyways, uh, but yeah, what was it like being on tour with uh, Richard Patrick uh, and Filter? Well, before that tour that you saw us on, we had been out with, we were out with Filter, Seven Dust, Us. Mm can't remember who else was on that tour but it was the local bazooka tour so we'd been out with filter and seven dust all summer literally okay two months and when local bazooka ended it was when us and filter decided to go and do the tour that you saw and it was mm -hmm. slated to just be filter and us and yep. the shows were going really well it's a good response a lot of places were close to being sold out if not sold out and he, uh, you know, he'd already been having a pretty good time, you know, during the summer when we were out you yeah. know, at Seven Dust. So um, I guess that just sort of carried over, you know, into the tour. And I, I remember that day vividly because I remember when we pulled up to the venue in our bus to the Hard Rock. I remember I, I saw I saw Richard going to the door into the venue to the backstage area and he kind of was staggering and i remember i i remember i commented on it and and someone came over um from his crew and we asked if he was okay and he's like oh he's already he's already wasted and i was like wow and i looked at my watch and it was like 12 30 in the afternoon or something like, oh no and um he and then i I remember I saw him, I saw him and Gino and Frank in catering about an hour later and Richard was was pretty inebriated by that point. He was just kind of talking all over the place and we were all talking and I could tell the rest of the guys in his band were weren't very happy. Um, yeah. there was obviously some issues with that there. And then I remember uh we played our set and I was walking back to our dressing room and I walked past. Um, so filter at the time, they had a band dressing room and then they had Richard's dressing room. <laughs> and as I was walking past 
Richard's dress room to get to mine. He he called my name and he invited me in and it's <clears throat> kind of just kind of pouring his heart out a little bit about some some yeah. things that were on his mind and he was, you know, drinking and and you could tell he was pretty already pretty pretty wasted and uh I remember <clears throat> we talked for about 10, 15 minutes and then I went and changed and then my tour manager came out and he goes, dude, you got to see this. This is crazy. And I walked out there and I saw, and you saw what I saw. Like there was, it was pretty crazy. And then that, after that show was when we got the phone call that um, we would have to finish the tour as the headliner. And then they, I can't remember what band they, they put out as support, but we ended up finishing that tour and, and it went well. Yeah, yeah, you know, if I was working uh, that tour, let's say, I sure would have found a big bag of blow <laughs> to try to wake his ass up. It was it was crazy watching uh, watching that. Uh, but you know, you know, I'm gonna give it to him. I mean, he has since cleaned things up. Um, yeah, and he even came. They even came back to Orlando a year or two later. Played downtown really at a pretty microscopic size, you know, stage really and played for free. Uh, yeah. And I think that that was in part to the disappointment of what he had done. Cause he entered rehab, like literally right after that, I think. So. Yeah. He, uh, they, <laughs> after that show that you saw, uh, they sent him to rehab. And then um, I remember I was told that they actually had to hospitalize him because his, his body was going through such drastic um, detox and he was having a lot of, a lot of um, symptoms that they were concerned about. And so they hospitalized him for four or five days, if I remember correctly. Man. Now, you know, you, you, that's not the only crazy wild uh, tour you've been on. You've you've told me about some other bands you've toured with over the years. First off, I'd forgotten you toured with seven dust, which, Love Seven Dust. They were a darlings of the Orlando uh, radio station and the scene that, you know, they were out of Atlanta. We were just five, six hours away. We were one of the stations to kind of, I think, really help break them to some degree. So that's really cool. Seven Dust guys, all super nice. Uh, Who else did you tour with? Uh, You know, you you had a lot of success, those, you know, particular three albums in a row there. Uh, Who are some other ones? Uh, We did... We did two months with Kid Rock. That was a lot of fun. It was just us and Kid Rock. And those were mostly... Was he partying? Was he like... How was he before the show or after the show? Talk, You know, a little behind the scenes of Kid Rock. Yeah, no, really, really chill. Really chill guy. Yeah. Uh, You know, he's he's there. He puts on a great show, as you know. The whole band does. Uh, No, man, he's he's pretty... His head's in the game. Like, he... uh, you know, maybe he had a drink every once in a while, but he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't, you know, what was depicted back then, you know, yeah. you know, concept all day drink night, night drinking, like, he, yeah. you know, pretty, he's a business guy for sure. And he's very focused and, and I appreciate that. That's, you know, how I am a lot of the time as well. So sure. that was a really fun tour. Um, you know, we've gotten to play and tour with a lot of great bands. We did Static X for a month. Um, we played with everybody from Corn to Stain to wow. 
Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Audio Slave. Um, Holy Chevelle. shit! We did a bunch of shows in Chevelle. I mean, we've done, we've played with a lot of bands out there. Honestly, so you and, um, you toured with a couple, you know, a couple pretty iconic singers for uh, particularly for us Gen Xers with uh, obviously Chris Cornell with Audio Slave and then mm-hmm. uh, Scott Weiland with STP. Uh, were you able to get much interaction with them? I mean, at this point in time, Cornell, you know, it already was a massive star with Soundgarden and, and Audio Slave was taken off as well. Were they more to themselves or was there still some engagement uh, with you guys as well? Yeah, I mean, I would say when we did, because uh, we also did shows with Velvet Revolver. Um, mm-hmm. Scott Weiland wasn't, wasn't too engaging. I think, I think he, at that at, during that time, he was court ordered. He had to go. He had to fly back home after every show. That was part of the arrangement, you know, for him to be allowed to go and, you know, leave the state because of his probation. Um, but oh Slash and Duff, um, I mean, they'd come into our dressing room because they were, you know, they would keep alcohol out of the dressing room where they were, you know, because of Scott, obviously. Yeah. And so they'd find their way into our dressing room and you know, drink and chat and tell stories. And that was really cool. That almost like, even when I think about it, like yeah. it's pretty surreal, you know, yeah. and they're just, just because they're just regular, ordinary guys really at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 Audio slave uh, kept to themselves more. So was... yeah, they're pretty much to themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a lot of, not a lot of activity happening. Right. Out on that right. STP was, uh, yeah, geez, what a great band. I mean, just songwriting was so amazing. The DeLeo brothers are ultra talented. They're still great live. I know obviously there is no, you know, substitute for Scott, but their songs have to live on. And I tell people that it's just like the band uh, Unita that's kind of back out without John Garcia, but their Mm. new guy, Mark Sunshine, just sounds great and is just cool to hear these songs that, we don't really get to hear live as often and, and done by most of the band still. So yeah, STP, that must've been fun. It is. I mean, that's a band that I, you know, grew up, you know, listening to. Yeah. So it's definitely cool. And do you say static X? Yep. We did that's a month a of static different. X. That's yeah. We, did, we, uh, <laughs> we were, we were on the same label. So yeah, um, there you go. It was cool. It was a little, you know, our crews struggled to get along a little bit. Um, <laughs> but other than that, it was, it was a great, it was a great tour. It was only the life, long. the life of being on the road was it, it, all these different parts to it, all these different people. It's just gotta be a fascinating thing. Now, now you're, you're heading out. Is this like your first tour in how long will? The last extensive tour that we did was 2010, 2011. Okay. That was our last extent. Like we've done shows here and there flying out, you know, in and out. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, as far as like back-to-back extensive shows, it's been since 2011, I'm pretty sure. That is going to be interesting, huh? How many shows are you playing, Will? Uh. Total of 19 shows Ooh. over three, gonna, over the span of three weeks. 
And, and we're going to make sure uh, we'll pop up a graphic here uh, that'll show kind of your tour, uh, tour stops and everything along the way. And everything starts in Costa Mesa, which for folks around the world that don't know, that's kind of a suburb. It's Orange County, California, yep. which is just below, you know, L.A. So uh, and they're playing at the Tiki Bar, which is not exactly, you know, <laughs> a huge place uh, for what I hear. And when yeah. and when when's that when's the date on that show? Uh that is the September twenty eighth. It's a Thursday, I think. Okay. Yep. And then uh 29th, brick by brick down in San Diego, where I will be uh there along with my buddy That's Mark right. uh, Morris, my high school buddy. I've known this guy since seventh grade, lives over there in San Diego. See if I can recruit a few other uh, friends along the way, brick by brick. Seen, I, I, I saw that you were going to be there. They, they've got, uh, they've got. I saw uh, warning signs up in San Diego, warning about uh, yeah. John Gist coming through. So, well, I come here, so you know, I, I might even have a little. We'll see if I keep the beard. So you know, it might be a little covert along the way. So we'll keep that hush. Get me in the back door. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, not figuratively. Whatever you get it, um, <laughs> and then after that you go uh, to Count's Vamped, which I will. Uh, you and I will sing from a mountaintop and tell people that is one of the top rock clubs you can go to anywhere. Uh, yeah. You, you and I have uh, collaborated on a few shows in Vegas uh, over there. Well, you know, like I like I told you, and I and I've told a few other people that I know. It, you were sort of a very, very instrumental in, in all of this mess happening. So if anybody's mad out there that we're back out there touring, they can they can call and scream at you about it. Yeah, they can do that. Yeah. Or thank me, one or the other. One or the other, yeah. Yeah, I'll take the but you know, hey, why I've uh I've been drawn, you know, to continuously supporting and enjoying your music is this. The songs. There's good songs. And rock and roll misses at times. Uh, well, I should say rock and roll. Rock and roll doesn't miss it, but the mainstream misses it. Uh, as we've lost track of a, the writing of a good song and story behind a song, the painting picture of emotions or situation, uh, that is really true. And that's where you and me, we, we come from that. 70s root that where you know we had all this abundance of music you know being created that was very new at that it was an evolution but storytelling yeah. and 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 painting pictures you know that that's obviously been something uh, about music for a long long time but your stuff really does that um you know you, you. recently you're welcome will i will always tell you that uh, no bullshit uh, i'll tell you something if I had something negative to say, I'd tell you, but I don't, you know, we'll do that off air. No, I'm joking. Um, now, I want to cut away for a second, and we're going to play one of your recent songs, uh, Been a Long Time. And that was a really, really poignant song that you did during the COVID era. Why don't you give us a little background on that before we uh, cut away and let the folks check out the video? Yeah, that was, uh, as you pointed out, that was, I mean, I wrote the music to that, you know, a little earlier, but I didn't sit down and pen lyrics to it until, you know, the the pandemic happened. And, uh, you know, that, that song was all about, you know, being isolated for, for so long. And it kind of, 
kind of felt that way, you know, artistically, you know, for this band as well. You know, it'd been a long time. It kind of felt isolated, you know, self-isolated in that regard. But um, but it was really a song written, you know, to put awareness on the fact that, you know, during that time period when all those lockdowns were happening, there were a lot of people that, um, although they were, you know, trying to protect a lot of people, that was the whole premise of it. There were a lot of people that were being harmed by it, you know, by being isolated, uh, you know, it caused the whole host of, of mental health issues. And, you know, a lot of things happen out of that. It's a whole separate conversation, but that's oh, what yeah. that song was, was, you know, written about when I wrote it was, was trying to bring awareness to that fact. And you did a great job to pair that with the visuals as well. The video is very good and, and hits that point across. You did very well, um, you know, uh, with that song. So some folks, they probably didn't even know it was out and that are listening and here's their chance. So folks, take a little look at Earshot's been a long time.
All right. Well, you just got to see one of Earshot's most recent songs and videos. Uh, you know, Will is, what's the plan? We've noticed you, how many songs have you put out here in this last three years? It seems like you popped a few out here, right? The first one we put out was Uninvited, which is an Alanis Morissette cover that, that we That's kind right. of made our own. Mm -hmm. uh, then we did uh, Been a Long Time. Then we did You and I, and also, you know, an acoustic re-recording of um, Tongue Tied, which was off of our second record. And then just more recently, we put out another single, uh, I don't know, six, seven months ago called Unraveling. So right, we so. put out a total of five, uh, five singles over the, since 2019-ish. Well, as a current trend seems to be in today's marketplace and music, is this all going to lead up to a, a full album? Yeah, so we just, uh, we've been getting a lot of um, calling out, you know, to, to put out a, a full album and that you know, to stop it with these singles that we've been hoisting upon people. Uh, so we uh, we wrote a whole record and we just beginning of August just got back from Florida where we went and recorded 11 brand new songs. So that uh, obviously it's not the songs are done. We've recorded all the drums. We've recorded all the basic rhythm guitars, some vocals, um, but we're not even going to have it finished until we get back from this tour. There's just too much happening. So it'll yeah. probably come out sometime in the early spring next year. That's exciting. Now, you know, you, you have an interesting story with uh, guitar because I believe one of your original guitars was what, Mike Callahan? Mm. Right. Um, he wasn't an original was he guitar in the band? Player, but yeah, he came in shortly after we finished recording the first record. Um uh. And he came in on, but yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't an original member per se. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. And it was funny as later on, he ended up being in the band Hermano, which a lot, again, another John Garcia incarnation, John Garcia from Caius uh, as well. Cause I just recently saw a bio, you know, little, little EPK electric press kit for those folks <laughs> um, of Hermano. And it mentioned his name and mentioned here. So I was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> what a small little world it is. Because Armando's having some of their uh, stuff re-released on uh, yeah. Ripple. So it's like, that's yeah, he was, But he was, he was in that band before he came to this band. Uh, he left that band to come, uh, to come to this band. And then they were mad at him. They felt like he was a traitor and two-faced and um, all that stuff, which they might not be wrong. But anyway, yeah, he, I think... Uh, I think he maybe went back and did some stuff with them after the, you know, after the earshot had, had thing had run its course yeah. for him. And, but that's about as much as I know about that. Yeah. What's interesting is now who do you have on? <laughs> you have on lead guitar. So now we have Aaron, uh, who was, or is, I should say, the founding member and ex-guitar player of Breaking Benjamin. And I met Aaron when we were doing shows of Breaking Benjamin out in 2004, and we just got along and we clicked and we stayed in touch on and off over the years since then. And, you know, when we reactivated this band and started doing shows again and started to do some writing, I 
um, he had texted me actually to see if I was interested in singing on one of his songs that he had written for a solo project. Of course, I said sure, and to send me the song, and um, and I texted him back a little bit later, and I said, hey, we're we're going to be doing uh, a few one-off shows. You know, would you be interested in in coming out and playing some guitar? And he, yeah, sure. Send me the dates, some the details, and the songs you want to play. And, and uh, here we are. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, and he's a pro up there as well. He obviously knows knows what's going on and uh, adds a really cool flavor to to the whole shebang, without a doubt. Uh, talk yeah. to us a little bit about, you know, you got such an interesting path. So you got the two Californias, you got, you know, uh, Vegas, and then you got like five shows in Texas. Yeah. Including <laughs> Lubbock. Big Way rock over there. <laughs> over there. Love it. Uh, home of the Texas Tech Red Raiders. But you got right. Lubbock. You got Lubbock, Dallas, San Antonio, uh, Houston, and, of course, Austin. Uh, Texas is a great uh, rock and roll country, not a doubt. Um, I'll be down there, you know, just in a few days for Ripple Fest, Texas, uh, down in Austin as well. Yeah. And you played a few shows in Texas not that long ago, right? Yeah, about a, year, a couple of years, maybe. Might, yeah. It might have been a couple of years since we played there. Um, it was real quick and real impromptu. Um, yeah. Didn't really do really any promotion to speak of. It was just kind of the show was booked and we flew out and mm-hmm. played it. And we learned real quick that you got to uh, you got to do some advertising online to let people know you're playing. We're in the street. Yeah, and the street is social media. <laughs> and particularly for rockers, a lot of rockers, you know, are, are Gen X, Gen Y, or even baby boomers, dare I say. And uh, Facebook's certainly a, a good a good one to get that out there. And you're very present on social media. And uh, But bottom line is, is, yeah, people have to hear about it. And, God, we can't rely on venues, that's for sure, because venues, uh, they don't get it. It's just more capital expense for them, and they're not sure but if I'll, they see the, the tangible thing. <laughs> but I will but I will say this, John. You've uh, promoted a couple of our shows, and and you've worked really hard on each one of them. So uh, appreciate it. You know, kudos to you. Yeah, thanks, man. It, it's, it's, a, it's a fun part of the job, uh, or fun part of being in the scene and, and helping along the way is uh, when you're know, during COVID – I learned, well, I'd already knew how to do, you know, Facebook ads and things like that uh, in marketing, but I learned how to get even better at it. And so mm-hmm. took, you know, you start studying a little more, doing a little more, doing a bunch of stuff. And yeah, it's amazing when you have time on your hands <laughs> and, and a goal in mind along the right. way. Um, you know, how do you keep your voice at the level that it is? Because, well, you, you know, uh, I go to shows twice a week, at least. Yeah. And so that means four or five bands many times. And some singers, they really do, do get to do a good job of keeping the voice. I'm Josie Scott, you know, this past weekend sounded, sounded pretty darn good. And it was only like a you know, second or third show or on the tour. Or I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, 
God knows the guy lost 250 pounds. He's like literally the, the size I was now, like I was in like sixth grade now. It's crazy how small he is. Um, yeah. But how do you keep your your voice at the level that you really are still maintaining? I think for me, it's just, um, I think I was just lucky enough to to have been taught how to sing properly by one of the best vocal coaches in the business that sadly passed away about a year ago, Ron Anderson. Um, he was the vocal instructor and coach to, you know, smaller time singers like Elton mm -hmm. John, Chris Cornell, oh. Michael Jackson, uh, Robert Plant. Um, this goes on and on. That's that. He was, he was my guru and he taught me, you know, about a lot about my voice and how it worked and how to, how to do it properly. And that's what I credit. I, I'm, I don't really do really warm ups to speak of. I don't, hmm. I'm not on any kind of special diet. It's, it's really the, the gift of the technique that, that he taught me and that he teaches all of his, has taught all of his students. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kept me in the game. And you like Luden's cough drops, I found out, the first show. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, you're like, well, it's the desert, and, you know, could you give me some Luden's? I'm like, yeah, sometimes, right. uh, sometimes it, uh, well, you know, Vegas is a really dry, dry place, and that, that, that affects, uh, that affects the mechanics of things. Yeah, uh, of as course. As you can imagine. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, you know, you guys make the journey, you know, not only from Texas all the way up the coast, uh, up there in Pennsylvania and Delaware and a bunch of other spots along the way. Uh, are, are any of these towns kind of new for you? Um, not really. I mean, we've, you know, over the years, we've we've played just about everywhere except for maybe we haven't played Alaska and we haven't played Hawaii. I think that we've played just about everywhere else that you could play. I mean, remember, our very first tour on our first album cycle for Letting Go was 17 months. I mean, that's <laughs> you're hitting a lot of places yeah. when you're out for that long. Now, sure. what's going to be different is some of the venues are different than what we played in some of these cities. But uh, a lot of these cities we've been to in the past, almost right. all of them. That's that's gonna be quite the journey, uh, for sure. I mean, geez, it'll be at Virginia Beach, uh, Newark, Delaware, you know, a bunch of a bunch of spots up in PA as well, uh, which of course is uh, where Aaron's from and lives. So that that should be interesting stuff up there. A lot of things going on, um, and you're going out with other bands as well as support. Yep, we got. Um... The opening band is called Machines. Great guys, great band, uh, and the direct support is Thousand Years Wide again. <clears throat> great guys, super great guys, great band, good songs. All of these guys are like really professional, super nice guys, and we haven't even played a show with them yet. Um, and we're you know bringing out new music is important to us because I talk about this often, you know, we've talked about it and I talk about it with my friends a lot of times, but 
you know, there's, it's, it's so hard for newer bands to get visibility out there. And, you know, the question that I always ask is what bands are going to fill in the gaps once all of these bands that are popular now are gone? Like, you know, what's in the pipeline? And I think we've, uh, I think the well is kind of a little bit, a little dry, so to speak. I mean, the bands are out there. There's the bands out there, yep. but helping them get into the, the forefront where they need to be is the, is the trick and the challenge. No doubt about it. It's uh, massively challenging right now. You know, it's a, it's a small club. We'll say at this point in time in the rock community, what little ground <laughs> rock and roll yeah. even has anymore with, with, you know, the power brokers of the industry, the, the we're down to three big labels at this yeah. point in time. And we're down to psych, two or three broadcast systems that do primarily the rock and roll, you know, and they're even programmed some of them regionally, which means the DJs don't even get to pick their own songs or even, which really is a little bit of the blood behind what is made rock and roll from early (laughs) is the breaking out of bands, you know, uh, by regional and local stations and so on. So, it's so tricky. Everything's obviously dominated by hip hop and rap and uh, country as can, you know, since the Garth Brooks era, Garth Brooks era is just continuously trying to fill some void along the way and have a lot more electric guitars. I, we yeah. all know this, of course, but yeah. rock and roll is unbelievable. You know, it, it was funny is we were riding to go somewhere and I commandeered the Uber driver and, uh, and took over the stereo and yep. played for you uh, some rival songs. And, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, and you were digging it. And you know, I, I do say that there, there probably are the one of the pinnacles of what's being created right now in the the pure rock scene. But there's other great bands, you know, that are a little bit, little bit younger that are still doing pretty good. Dirty Honey's obviously very active. I mean, Red Van Fleet is now playing. <laughs> They're playing, I, you know, some of the biggest things you could play, which is a little bit insane, but yeah. at least people, you know. I had a buddy that went to a Greta Van Fleet show. I just talked to him, actually, uh, that he works, well, he owns a record store. And by happenstance, someone gave him a ticket and said, hey, you want to go? And he's like, yeah, you know what? I got to check it out. And he goes, it wasn't the normal crowd. He's like, that was a different rock and roll crowd. So I found that really interesting. And obviously they fit, uh, they fit some check marks, we'll say, in today's kind of scene. They're younger, they're a bit flamboyant, if you will. Um, yeah. and and they keep denying that Led Zeppelin was a <laughs> influence, which just boggles my mind to no end, and most everyone else's along the way. Yeah. But it's good to see some, but man, it, it's great that you guys uh, bringing out some newer bands uh, uh, with you as well. Uh, I'm sure both those bands have a presence on Spotify so folks can check it out before the show. Make sure to you know go early and, and support new music as well and get primed up, you know, to yeah. hear Earshot doing how long of a set will it typically be? Uh, and it- Somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half. Very nice. Very, very nice. We're trying to put some meat on the bone, you know? I 
I wouldn't ask for anything different. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're still talking music. Um, any, I, this is random. Uh, it's just like that. Uh, do you do any cover songs at all ever live or have you, or? Uh, I mean, we're going to, we're going to maybe do uninvited on this run. Um, once in a while, me and Aaron, you know, if we have a little bit of a lull in the set, you know, if someone's got to try to change a string or something, we'll sometimes we'll fiddle around with uh, cool. Black Hole Sun, you know, or something by Soundgarden, just, just a guitar and vocal yeah. type thing. But, uh, Right on. No, I mean that we do. I mean, you we have do, a lot of songs. <laughs> well, we do. You know, when I when I take a a couple minute break midway through the set, they play Moby Dick. You know, That's so right. I guess that that counts. That counts, I guess, as a cover. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess we do. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. I remember yeah. That. Moby Good Dick drum solo. Moby Dick get getting the fucking blood moving for the drummer a little bit there. It's That's also right. when there's a mass exodus many times at many shows for people to go to the bathroom. But uh, I was at a show recently that that happened. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to go. You know, <laughs> it's my time, you know. But, I mean, that's just, you come back and, and with Moby Dick and they're usually still playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even after you wash your hands. Uh, you know, Will, the, we, I really appreciate you coming on the show here and uh, keep pushing forward with everything. Um you guys are, you know, it's really an easy band to pull for, folks. And so if you're hearing this, check it out uh, uh, on where all they're playing. And, hey, if they're nearby, this is a, a good chance to catch a really good band. I've seen them play live in this new iteration. It's all good. It's all good. And it'll bring you back in time to when you were younger. <laughs> 20 years yep. ago or whatever yep. and, and we'll, for some of us we'd sure like to remember that <laughs> yep. and uh and then uh we will drop you back off uh back in modern day time yeah Guaranteed. without a doubt without a doubt well thanks again will for being on the heavy galaxy show and uh Love brother it. thank you i will see you in gosh next week and yeah week. just a little over a week yeah all right well thanks a lot will you got it, my man. Sometimes I lose my mind.